part of what we're seeing is uh, we're continuing to see more data-centric devices and being able to pass a lot more bandwidth from like a video perspective, being able to have more analytics and, and things of that nature. A big part of what we're seeing is a push to private LTE. There's a lot of users that for years used a two-way radio voice system. They, they put a repeater in on-premise to be able to talk on that two-way radio system. Welcome to the Wireless Communications Explained podcast, where IT, engineering, and operations professionals learn about wireless communications. This includes how to develop true dispatch communications, implement and manage communication tools, improve one-to-many communication, keep up to date with security and customer satisfaction trends, increase coverage and range, and roll out push-to-talk technology. Now, here are your hosts, Chaz Elliott of EMCI Wireless and Mike Humphreys of Consult Consulting Solutions. Welcome to Wireless Communications Explained. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Chaz Elliott, who's the president of EMCI Wireless and a Motorola Solutions Manufacturers Rep, as well as Mike Humphreys, who is president of Consult Communications and a longtime veteran of the wireless communications industry. Chaz and Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having hey. us. That's terrific. Well, the first place I'd like to start is to get your perspective on how each of you ended up in your current roles. Uh, so we'll start with you, Chaz, how you ended up at AMCI Wireless and what your career journey has been to, uh, to arrive at this place. Sure. So for uh, the last 15 years or so, I've been with EMCI Wireless and kind of started out um, in, I have a background in basically IT uh, technical services, um, kind of came into the business uh, you know, as, as there was this transition from analog to digital and uh, just kind of fell into my wheelhouse. It went from um, you know, a lot of uh, ethernet centric and data centric type applications. And um, so, uh, you know, it kind of made sense. Uh, it was a logical transition for me uh, coming with an IT background into the two-way radio business. Um, so I, I kind of started off, if you will, from a technical role. And, um, you know, as my business sense grew a little bit, um, kind of grew into the role that, that I have now. And eventually, um, you know, I was afforded the opportunity to, to, to buy in as an owner of the company. That's great. Did you know at some point in going to school that you wanted to move into some aspect of IT um, or wireless? Was that something that excited you when you were younger or did that just kind of fall into place with one step leading to another? Yeah, if you would have told me, you know, 20 something years ago that uh, I would be in the the two-way radio business uh, here in 2021, um, I would think you're crazy, right? Uh, it, It wasn't certainly at the top of my list of, you know, career uh, adventures that I was looking to pursue, but you're, you're right. As I went through schooling and everything else uh, with the IT background, um, you know, I knew that I, I didn't want to fix computers every day and I knew I didn't want to work on printers and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it was kind of a logical transition um, into, you know, I, I did networks and you know, things of that nature uh, in a prior life. And, um, you know, I just, I knew I wanted to be involved in technology, but I wasn't exactly sure where my fit was going to be. Uh, it, you know, it took some time to, um, you know, to, to fall into place there. That's great. 
How about you, Mike? Mike, did you always know that you wanted to be in wireless? What led you to your current role in working as an advisor at Comsult? Yeah, that's funny. Um, when see, I've been in this industry for four decades, so it looked a little bit different when I first came in uh, right out of college. Um, the guy that recruited me into this industry said, would you be interested in going to work for Motorola selling FM two-way radios? And I couldn't spell two-way radio at that particular point in time. I had no concept, no idea of what it was outside of CB radios back then. Um, it was, uh, it just wasn't something that the general population knew that much about. So I, you know, I, I was so intelligent about it. I even asked him the question that once I've sold everybody one of these, what do I do then? Um, so, uh, that's, that's exactly how much I knew about it. So no, absolutely no thought whatsoever about going into this field, uh, or this industry at all. So, and, and I've been in it my entire adult life now. So. It's interesting. So there was nothing that really happened with running around the backyard as a kid with walkie talkies or anything like that, or pretending to be, uh, the dispatcher chasing down bad guys and, uh, law enforcement or anything like that. No, you got to remember in my case, Marconi had just invented the radio. Um, so, you know, it, it, uh, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't that much really out there to think about other than, you know, you saw police use them and that kind of stuff, but no, not in my case, I wasn't looking toward that kind of, uh, that kind of career. So Chaz, when you first started out working in wireless communications, what was people's general perception of two-way radios? Yeah, it was something that for a lot of people, um, especially, you know, friends, right? I'm, I'm of a younger generation here. So a lot of my friends would immediately go, you know, people still use those things. You know, that was kind of the, the sentiment that we would normally hear, um, you know, and when you remind them that, you know, they see it everywhere in law enforcement, they see it in, you know, hospitality and everywhere else. Uh, they're, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I guess that does make sense that you, know, you would, you would be doing that. Um, but a lot of people, you know, um, really thought that that technology, you know, was, was, uh, you know, obsolete, you know, coming out of the eighties and nineties and people remember pagers and things like that, but they really thought once cellular took over, uh, there was this kind of perception that uh, two-way radios were no longer around. Uh, you, Mike, what did people think of two-way radios when you were first starting get, getting started in the business? They thought they were just for police and taxi cab companies, basically. Um, that's about the only place that you really saw that many. Um, there were a lot of businesses that, that did have two-way radios, but they had basic simplex systems that just covered a particular small footprint or a small area. Um, they didn't have mobile-to-mobile, -mobile, portable-to-portable communications that were long distance and effective because they, they were just coming into the world of repeaters back then, uh, where they were just becoming uh, uh, very uh, prevalent and uh, have the opportunity for people to actually use them. So um, they really just thought CB radios were the way that people communicated, or if you were a police officer, maybe then uh, you had a different kind of system. So it was a, it was a wildly different time back then. And it was, it was um, a lot more exciting from the standpoint that as you brought the technology to them back then, they, they had no concept. They couldn't, they didn't realize that they could talk 40 or 50 miles from one handheld radio to another one by way of a repeater. Uh, so once they saw that, they got fired up and that was exciting stuff. So, um, you know, as, as we progress beyond that into the world that Chaz is talking about, 
um, they people really did come to believe that, okay, now two-way radios are passe, they're dead, they're over. Uh, now we'll just do everything on a cell phone. Uh, and, uh, and I think that, that, that thought process is still prevalent today, right? Yeah. And when I think of even just the applications, we talk from time to time about hospitality entertainment. I can't imagine a scenario where you go to get seated at a large restaurant, how they logistically would handle knowing whether a table is open and where to move someone if they complain about not liking the first table without that, or an irate customer trying to track down a manager because the meal is late or uh, going to a big sporting event, how would dozens or hundreds of security personnel be able to to communicate in real time if there was a, an emergency or just someone uh, behaving badly at an event that needed needed some kind of attention? So yeah, there seemed to be very much out there. And then I think back to I grew up in the seventies and eighties. I don't really recall a time when it when you would see police and emergency or like fire and uh, first aid squad type personnel like doing their jobs without that. I guess there must have been a time going back probably 20, 30, 40 years before that, but it seemed like it was always there. And people even back then were buying CDs as like a hobby, right? Right. right. Pretty back when uh, bag phones were um, outrageously <laughs> expensive and it was an enormous status symbol just to pull up in front of someone's house or office and call them from the car. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. So how have you seen the two-way radios evolve over the course of your career, Chaz? So for me, um, really, when I was first coming in, like I said before, there was this kind of transition from analog to digital technology. Um, when that started to happen, there was, uh, you know, everything became a little more data-centric. So when I first started, there was, you know, analog voice only two-way radios. You, know, you picked up a radio, you keyed up, you know, push the push to talk button, and you talked, um, and the other person, you know, um, you know, listened on the other side. Uh, but from aside from that, there really wasn't, you know, much to it more than just voice. And since then, it's evolved, you know, quite a bit into, you know, now data, video. Um, you know, analytics, triggers, um, being able to, you know, put applications now on your radios, you know, all of these different things that have, uh, you know, made it kind of converged all the technologies, you know, the digital capability uh, allowed users to, you know, get, get more out of their device than just push to talk and release to listen. How about you, Mike? What have you observed has happened as you've seen two-way radios evolve over the past decade or two. Well, yeah, yeah. Going back a little bit before the analog to digital uh, conversion, when you think back to the time when, when I first started selling two-way radios, it was a, uh, a party line environment. You know, people, not only could you monitor, you had to monitor before you could use a frequency, before you could key up because it was FCC regulation that, that mandated that. So you didn't uh, interfere with somebody or walk on them. So anything that you communicated could and was heard by other people. Um, and uh, as you progressed technologically and moved from the, com the community repeater environment, repeater environment uh, into trunking, then things began to really start uh, getting better from the standpoint of capability and feature sets and privacy and all those other things. 
Um, so now you had the ability to, to kind of use a, a concept that the telephone company actually came up with when they used trunk lines to, to get telephone service to everybody that was now private phone lines. And then from there, you moved into the world of um, really Nextel came into existence. And now you had an all-in-one device that was a pager and it was a, it was a cell phone type of device as well as a two-way radio. Uh, and that really uh, expanded the marketplace even more. And oddly enough, before it went away, many businesses were asking for the beep beep, which they called the, the, the dispatch side of a Nextel unit rather than the, tel the telephony side of it, because they were real realizing the fact that that instantaneous push to talk communications was still more valuable to them than being able to make a phone call even on that same device. Um, then, of course, it went away. Um, and that left people with what they thought was only one choice, which was to go with smartphones or cell phones uh, as a method for communicating, particularly wide area. But then with that, with that advent of what Chaz is talking about, when two-way radio finally caught up with much of the rest of the world and went digital, um, it, it changed the scope of everything. Because not only do you still have that integration of all those different technologies now that can come together, you still have the most core and important part of this whole thing, which is instantaneous communication with the individual you want to communicate with by the push of a button, uh, which is still probably the hallmark of land mobile radio or two-way radio. But now it's got all this other cool stuff with it too. So uh, it's been an amazing, an amazing journey uh, to watch the evolution of these technologies and what it actually brings to the market. Do you see it as like a moment in time, like a particular year where the switch was flipped from analog over to digital and just most of the devices, most of the market share, most of the interests seemed to move? Was there a particular year or was it like a range of years? I mean, for me personally, it was uh, late 2000, you know, late 2000s, just before 2010 or so, um, we started to really see, uh, you know, a lot of adoption. Uh, into the digital market. Um, specifically, there were some FCC regulations came out in you know 2011 type timeframe that drove a lot of uh, users to transition from really old uh, you know analog voice to some of the newer digital technologies. Uh, but as a whole, that's really where I started to see it was probably that 2007 or eight to you know 2011 type timeframe. Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting about that three or four year window is 2007 was the year the original iPhone came out. I think 2010 or 2011 was the first iPad. Uh, the U.S. was going through a massive housing market induced recession in 2008, 2009. So people were looking to cut expenses and get a lot more creative about getting more, more done with less. And then the backdrop of all of this accelerating the changeover and wireless from analog to digital. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, are there any other factors that you see that have been driving innovation in wireless communications of, in the last 10 years, in the last one year, five years? What, um, what do you, when people ask you like what they should be thinking about, what are the macro trends behind all of this? What do you peg most of that to? I mean, for me, um, I look at it from a, you know, the technology as a whole is evolving so fast, uh, not just with, you know, the wireless communications industry, but with everything, um, that that's certainly, uh, you know, it's certainly driving a lot of this innovation um, and, and need from, from folks to, you know, it used to be that, 
you know, way back when, right, you could communicate on premise at one office and, you know, be happy with that. And then, you know, maybe you had 10 offices around the country, but there really wasn't much need for all 10 of those offices around the country to talk to each other. Um, now, you know, as, you know, economies of scale and, you know, everything else get involved, there are a lot of businesses, uh, you know, even public safety users that we work with now that have centralized maybe their dispatch operations, for example. So they may have, you know, 10 facilities around the country, but they, you know, want to be able to dispatch them out of one call center. You know, lots of different things there that have, um, you know, needs um, that have driven, you know, the need for innovation. And with, uh, you know, IP Ethernet type technology, uh, that's really, you know, um, you know, having networks available all across the country, the world, you know, it's really allowed that, um, you know, the wireless communication industry to expand uh, and to, you know, um, ultimately, you know, fulfill the needs of these various uh, users. So you figure this centralization as a centralization of resources is a big part of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really remarkable because at the same time in that same 10 year period, you have a massive shift in how IT was being purchased, where all of a sudden the consumerization of IT and SaaS and cloud computing was all of a sudden allowing line of business managers and marketing and finance and engineering to have their own IT budgets. And there was all this arm wrestling going on about centralized and decentralized. And yet uh, the was the momentum was going in the other direction and wireless. Well, I think our industry is being wildly affected by cloud-based technology. It's being wildly affected by the internet of things and artificial intelligence. All of those things are, are coming to bear on everything from simple voice communications all the way through to all the other components of what we have, you know, that, that are available in our industry today, whether it's video, whether it's data, uh, whether it's pure voice, um, all of those things are impacted and affected by these technological advances in a great way. Uh, and I think that in this day and age, you have to be aware of all of those solutions and all of those technologies to be able to deliver the right kind of thing to your customer. With that in mind for keeping tabs on innovation, what's driving innovation, what kind of listening posts do you see yourself paying attention to? What kind of listening posts, uh, sources of ideas do you think like product managers at Motorola's solutions sit around and listen for to, to stay a few steps ahead of where the demand is going to be one, three, five years out from now? I think the, one of the biggest things we do is voice of the customer sessions. I mean, really just sitting down with the customers and trying to understand, you know, what, what operational challenges do you have today? You know, how can we help improve upon those? You know, if you could solve, you know, any issue that would help you with your business or your, you know, your response time or, you know, whatever the question is, um, you know, you know, even if it's unrelated, you don't think it's related to a two-way radio device, you know, how would you, you know, what, what, are, what are those issues and, you know, how do you have any recommendations on how those potentially could be solved? And, you know, ultimately um, for Motorola, their chief technology office, I mean, that's really uh, a big part of it. Um, and we work hand in hand with them to ensure that we're getting that, you know, field level feedback, that it's not just designed from somebody in a cubicle somewhere who has never seen the, you know, the real world operation, right? Uh, what we do in a lot of cases is, you know, mission critical, it's operations critical. Um, we need to be able to ensure that, you know, the devices we're giving our customers, you know, provide value to them. 
And with a lot of the technology entrepreneurs that I've worked with over the years, especially in smaller companies, a lot of times you're training the sales team to listen for cues of what's the missing feature that's preventing them from being comfortable moving forward with a large initiative. And a lot of times the thought process is to be able to loop that back into product or into the executive team and say, Hey, you know, we have this customer that's a, a large deal and they're, they said they have three or four buddies and similar companies that would also be in. Do you see any of that happening in your sales processes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the market drives the innovation, right. And having a business case for something, um, you know, even, you know, and it, it's different. We serve more, multiple vertical markets. Um, you know, we have, uh, a whole range of, you know, suites of products, um, everything from, you know, hardware to software. Uh, and really, you know, you have to have your finger on the pulse of, you know, what the customer's looking for there uh, to really, you know, help, help again, drive the value to them. And, uh, you know, which ultimately drives, you know, uh, for them, it, you know, makes their decision-making process, you know, uh, a lot smoother. Yeah, I Mike. think we've, we've learned, learned a lot of lessons from, um, Motorola's mistakes that they made in the cellular world by not doing just that. They didn't listen. Uh, they didn't keep their finger on the pulse and uh, it cost them dearly in that part of the world. And I think that uh, we all learned some lessons from that as well. And, um, you know, the, the customer is, is a huge listening post, but I think you also have to remain very engaged technologically in things that, you know, you can't stay in your little voice cocoon um, and, and focus only on that particular piece of it. You, you really have to be uh, aware of advances that are taking place in other technologies because they are all going to merge and converge at some point. So uh, we just have to stay on top of it on a regular basis. Another area that I wanted to ask you both about was misconceptions that people have about two-way radios. Why don't we start with you on that first, Mike? Um, what do you feel is the biggest misconception that customers, potential customers have about two-way radios that you come across in the field? I think it conjures an image of buggy whips when they think of two-way radios, that it is, it is an archaic, outdated technology that, yeah, we used to use those back in the 90s. Uh, but now that we have all of the cool features and gadgets that go along with smart technology uh, and smartphones in general, um, that they have been replaced, uh, even up to and including a belief that push to talk over cellular has replaced two-way radio. Um, and it, it is a, it, it's a massive misconception, unfortunately. Uh, and it's, it's been permeated by people that, that invest in carrier communications and have a, a vested interest in making sure that people continue to subscribe to those services, obviously. And to some extent, uh, it's, it's this industry's own fault for not doing a better job of communicating the uh, what I call solution relevance of still the land mobile radio piece of the equation. Um, and it, it's uh, when you see people that are using the wrong tool for the job, uh, it bothers me greatly anyway to see that happen uh, because it, it's that tells me that we haven't gotten the message out to the marketplace that this is not, we joke about this all the time, this is not your father's two-way radio, right? It has changed. It has evolved. It is now a, a very robust and a comprehensive device uh, that can do everything, basically. And I think that there's a huge misconception out there around that. I wonder to what extent consumer media plays a role in fueling that misconception. I think about like when I'm watching a basketball game or football game or a baseball game, like you can't go more than one or two commercial breaks without seeing an ad from a carrier or 
Apple's latest iPhone. Do you think that that's creating part of the challenge because it's basically going direct to the consumer with the messaging and most of what you talk about is a lot more business to business, business to government, like mid-market enterprise focused? I'm going to go a step further um, and talk about the fact that Motorola as as a company, as an example, does not have the product placement they used to have. When you see uh, a law enforcement show on television, it's not unusual to see them uh, talking on a cell phone from the detective back to another detective rather than a two-way radio. Um, you'll see people using, using smartphones in applications that historically, when you watched a TV show, they were using two-way radios. So I think it's not just the advertisements in between. I think it's the actual shows themselves that in many cases are, are giving people the impression that that's the technology you use now. It's really interesting. So when you think about a TV show or a movie going to great pains to um, look at something like Grey's Anatomy, they must spend a small fortune every year to consult with doctors to make sure that their programming accurately represents what goes on in a hospital, especially with what we went through in the last year. So you're saying is on like police shows like CSI or something like that, they're just not accurately representing the, the tools that the detectives would use out in the field. Interesting. What's your thought on that, Chaz? You see that? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, when I first started in the business, even on the NFL, right, you would see the big NFL headsets and they would have Motorola branded in, you know, yeah. huge letters, you know, over them. And now, um, I mean, you occasionally you'll see it, um, but for the most part, you you don't see that. Uh, you see that the, the user's wearing a headset, but you don't know what's on the other end of it, right? Is it a two-way radio on the other end? And, and you know, almost all cases it is. It's just not branded uh, the way that it used to be, um, you know, just from a, uh, you know, a perception standpoint, uh, a lot of folks probably think there is some form of a cell phone or something else, you know, on the other end of that. Sure. Interesting. Um, so now that we've gotten an idea of where two-way radios have evolved over the years, uh, what's driving most of the innovation and some of the biggest misconceptions, where are we headed next? What's going on in the industry right now, thinking ahead over the next, say, two or three years? What does the future of two-way radios look like? So in my opinion, um, part of what we're, you know, we're seeing is uh, we're continuing to see more data-centric um, devices and you know, being able to pass you know, a lot more bandwidth uh, from like a video perspective uh, being able to have, you know, more analytics and, and things of that nature. Um, a big part of what we're seeing is a push to private LTE. There's um, a lot of users that, you know, for years, uh, you know, used a, a two-way, you know, uh, two-way radio voice system. They had, a, they put a repeater in, you know, on-premise to be able to talk on that two-way radio system. They also have a, you know, a Wi-Fi system, take a hotel, for example. Um, and on there, they have a Wi-Fi system that any of the guests can be on as a public system. Then they have a private system for maybe their own users, like housekeeping or, you know, facilities, maintenance, things of that nature. Um, the push to private LTE is really to, you know, bring more bandwidth and bring more control security uh, as cybersecurity becomes more and more paramount with all these data-centric, you know, applications. Um, now there's a big push to, you know, to put private LTE in facilities so that you can basically have a device with a SIM card in it. And that's what controls whether or not it connects or not. 
So now if I don't have to worry about, you know, Joshua coming on to my, you know, internal network, uh, as long as he doesn't have that SIM card in his device and it's not authorized, then he you know, wouldn't be able to get onto my network. So there's almost this convergent, convergence of the public, you know, cellular carriers with the control and the security of your own private uh, LMR, you know, land mobile radio system. There's a convergence of those two technologies. You know, people don't have full trust in cellular because they can't control their destiny. But on the other hand, you know, a traditional LMR system, you need to be able to complement that with data, really. And it used to be that, you know, a little bit of data, sending some text messages, um, you know, or a work ticket to a, to a you know, person in the field was about all you needed to do. Now we need to pass video. We need to pass, you know, lots more large files. Um, and in order to do that, we need the bandwidth of LTE. So there's this convergence uh, right now of the wireless communications industry. And I'm sure there's a challenge with just people's expectations around that because so many of the carriers have been, gosh, got to be three, four, five years already talking about uh, robust mobile broadband and how much they allow you to stream and with caps and everything. Um, do you see that the commercial side, the public safety side of wireless communications has largely been able to keep up with those perceptions of what people are expecting based on what um, what they see on cellular? I, mean, I think in, um, on the public safety side of the house, there's still, uh, there's a reason why everybody carries a two-way radio and not necessarily a cell phone, right? Um, when it comes to mission critical push to talk, um, you know, you have uh, cellular carriers out there that are, are trying to build to that standard, but it's just not quite there yet. Um, there is a, from a land mobile radio perspective, just that being able to control that and, you know, with county owned towers and equipment and things of that nature, um, you know, especially, you know, we're here in Florida, uh, it's not uncommon to have, you know, a hurricane or five come through, you know, in a course of, you know, 30, 60 days. And when that happens, you need to be able to control, you know, the, the response from your public safety first responders. And right now the, you know, the, the comfort level isn't there with a, a cellular carrier. They may have a, you know, a two hour battery backup or something like that. But at the end of the day, if you're without power for, you know, 72 hours or more, uh, you still have first responders on the street that need to be responding to incidents. And, you know, not having uh, communications in this day and age is just, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not a, it's a recipe for disaster there. Yeah, and I guess it's a combination of the typical things that the meteorologists look at, how big the storm was, how the, how, how populated the area was, and the intensity and forward speed. And all of that impacts just how much damage it does with power lines and cell towers being down. Exactly. I think on the on the commercial side of the house, you know, when you look at the fact that, you know, the carriers aren't really at a point where they can deliver the same kind of service to public safety. On the commercial side, it's the other way around. I think uh, the land mobile radio industry is catching up with um, the carrier-based smartphone types of things when you look at at multifunctional devices now that uh, that have all of the, uh, that you can go to the Google Play Store and get the same apps on your device that is also your two-way radio that you can also watch video on of your uh, different camera devices that is a barcode scanner uh, that does everything in one single device now, but does it with the durability and ruggedness and 
with all of the things that you come to expect out of a out of a good quality land mobile radio. Um, so so now when you start putting all of that into the equation as well, I think it's uh, it's LMR actually catching up with the smartphone world uh, with offerings that are extremely competitive, but also more functional in a business environment and in the, the environment that the ruggedized environment that most businesses operate in, um, that is, is probably going to trump a lot of the smartphone applications, in my opinion. Yeah, that durability, ruggedness, you know, think about the typical person that's has a smashed smartphone screen. Yeah. A lot of people that have smashed smartphone screens. There's right? a whole industry of yeah. retail stores that just specialize yeah. in fixing the glass that's there and all industry of third party protectors, screen protectors and everything. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Chaz, if anyone has is watching this, listening to this, reading about this episode and they have any questions, what's the best way for them to reach out to one or both of you? So um, from a, if you wanted to reach out to our office, uh, the office number is 1-800-226-7470. You can ask for me directly, um, or you can email me at cellio, C-E-L-L-I-O-T-T, at emciwireless.com. That's great. And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. But it's been great talking with you both today, all about how far wireless communications has come, how wireless communications today is is very different than it was a couple of decades ago, how it really is not your father's two-way radio, and some of the big misconceptions that people have about two-way radios and how that shapes the perception of where we're all headed next. Um, so you've been listening to the Wireless Communications Explain podcast. Take care now. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Chaz. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wireless Communications Explained podcast. To get notified about new episodes, subscribe at wirelesscommunicationsexplained.com or wherever you like to consume podcast episodes, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And if you found this episode helpful, please leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends.